I'm in a new series on strategies for possessing your mountain. In the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verse 7, and then I'll skip to verse 11 and 12. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. How's the sound out there? Is that okay, everybody? Okay. Okay, good. Perfect, somebody said. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. That's a pretty incredible statement. I'm as strong now as I was 45 years ago because he was 40 years old when he and Joshua went and to the promised land to spy out the land with the other 10 spies. The other 10 brought back a negative report. Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report. And because of the bad report of the 10 spies, they discouraged the heart of the nation of Israel and the people refused to cross over. And God said, you're going to spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness until everyone who has said no is going to die that's above the age of 20. And then there was five years spent conquering the promised land. Caleb is now 85 years old, and he's saying, I was as strong, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you have heard in that day how the Anakim were there. That's the giants. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. I want to speak this morning from this subject when God gives you a mountain. A mountain. Father, I pray that you would speak a word to us now that will be illuminating the way your word has this incredible ability to get into our hearts and mold us and shape us and come to pass and cause its promises to be fulfilled in our lives is all inspiring. I want you to let your word do that this morning. You get the glory for everything that is done. I want you to move and I want you to cause breakthroughs to happen, attitudinal changes to occur, miracles to take place. I want you to do what you as God alone can do. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody shouted and said, Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. When I last spoke, we talked about valleys and their significance in the Bible. Valleys were places of difficulty and darkness. We call valleys the low places in our lives. Gideon faced the Midianites and the Amalekites in the valley of Jezreel. That was certainly a low place at that time for Israel. Goliath threatened and terrified the people of Israel in the valley of Elah. When David became king of the United Tribes of Israel, the Philistines gathered their armies together in a mighty gathering of warriors, and they came to attack Israel in the valley of Rephaim. The psalmist spoke of the valley of the shadow of death. The Song of Solomon speaks of the valley, but tells us that our Lord in the darkest of those valleys can be found, and he called him the lily of the valley. Isaiah spoke of the valley of vision, 
In Ezekiel, we read of the Valley of Dry Bones. There's also a valley just outside of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. I've been there many times. And this is where the ancient people who lived in those times burned the refuge from their city. The fire was always burning and the smoke constantly billowing up from the valley into the sky. And then, as it were, soaring through the billowing smoke were kites and vultures, birds of carrion. And when people died and there were plagues or there was war, they would place their bodies there and they would be burned. And over the centuries, Jewish people came to consider it a visual representation of hell. All of the smoke, the fire, the burning, the bodies, the vultures, they came to call that the equivalent of hell. Valleys represent the low places in our lives, and we often refer to the challenges we face in life as being the valleys that we must walk through. I wonder if there's anybody in this building that's ever been in a valley. Anybody ever walked through a valley so dark you couldn't hardly see the way out? Sunlight couldn't even reach you in the valley. I read about a city, a town actually in the Alps, the Alps in Europe, that installed mirrors on one of the mountains. They're right there nestled in a valley and they were always in the darkness. And they literally installed mirrors that when the sun would come up, it would hit the mirrors and shine the light into the valley because they were tired of living in the darkness. True story. In spite of valleys being places of struggle and difficulty, God actually performed some of his greatest miracles in valleys. The people of God often experienced some of their greatest breakthroughs in valleys that were desperate and challenging and difficult. I've lived long enough to discover this, that one of the most important things you will ever learn in life is that in reality, are you listening? Your problem is actually an opportunity. I know it doesn't look like it, but it is. Problems are actually miracles in disguise. Miracles come dressed up as problems. If you just see a problem, you're not going to see what God really wants you to see. Look at what God did in each one of these valleys that I mentioned, and you'll see what I'm talking about. God caused Gideon to defeat the combined armies of the Midianites and the Amalekites in the valley of Jezreel with only 300 men. Talk about a miracle. But it looked like a problem. In the valley of Elah, everybody said, that warrior out there, that's a problem. And David said, looks like a miracle in disguise to me. And picked up his slingshot and five smooth stones and killed Goliath with one of them. Later, after David became king and the Philistine army came to attack them, God told David that when you hear the going in the mulberry trees, you are to engage the Philistine army in battle that is gathered in the valley of Rephaim. I've heard this preached so many times, but I haven't heard it preached correctly, not even once. David obeyed God and launched his attack against them when he heard again the sound of the going, quotation marks, in the mulberry trees. It's an interesting word, the going. Most people say the sound of the wind. I guess every sermon I've ever heard 
That's what has been stated. That's not at all what that says. When you go into the Hebrew, the word, Hebrew word for going literally means the sound of marching. What David actually was told was, David, don't you start your attack until the armies of heaven show up and start marching down into that valley. The word in Hebrew for going literally refers, it is a specific sound. It refers to the sound that metal armor leggings made when soldiers marched, the clanking sound. And God was telling David, there's an army of angels getting ready to show up. You be patient enough to wait on the angels. You wait on me. Don't you go fight this battle without me. When you hear the army show up, that's when you go down to fight. You'll get the credit because nobody will see them, but they're going to win the battle for you. That's a word to somebody in this house. You wait on God. A breakthrough is coming. Can somebody in the building shout hallelujah this morning? You get ahead of God, you're going to find yourself in trouble. But if you can wait on God and keep on praying, angels are getting ready to show up and you're going to hear a sound that lets you know God's ready to do war for you right now. You will seek God. He will turn the darkest valley that you will ever walk through and into an incredible place of victory and an open door of opportunity. I'll give you an example. Jerusalem meant the city of peace. It's literally what it meant. One of the gates in the ancient Jerusalem was called the Valley Gate. You know where that gate was located? After you passed through the Valley of Hinnom, the one that they said became a metaphor for hell. They said, when you come up through that Valley of Hell with death and destruction and smoke and burning and carrion eaters flying overhead, you'll come to the Valley Gate and the Valley Gate will lead you into the city of peace. If you're going through hell right now, don't you give up. You keep marching because there's a gate in the middle of your valley that's going to lead you into the presence and peace of God Almighty. Breakthroughs coming. Don't you turn around. Don't you go the opposite direction. I'm talking to somebody right now. Amen. You may feel like you're going through hell in your marriage. Hell in your business, hell in your finances. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. Don't you lose faith. You keep on praying. You keep on fasting. You keep on seeking God. You're going to hear the going and the sound of the mulberries in a little while. Angels are going to come accompany you right through the middle of hell. No weapon, I feel it in my spirit. No weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. In all of these places, we see that valleys that were thought to be challenges actually became opportunities. They were miracles dressed up in disguise. Our God isn't just a God of the hills. He's a God of the valleys too. But mountains have also been very important throughout history. Caleb said, I want the mountain. It's the mountain that God promised me. He was referring to Mount Hebron where the the children of Anak lived, the Anakims, which were the giants. Now this is fascinating to me because ancient cultures believed that the mountains were the dwelling places of the spirits, the gods with a little g. 
The Greeks, for example, worshiped 12 gods they called the Pantheon that they believed lived on Mount Olympus. Again, gods with a little g. Mount Olympus is a mountain in Greece. A little over a year ago, I preached a prayer conference with Benny Matthews, my son in ministry, who's doing such an incredible work. If you ever want to give to missions, give to that, that ministry. I promise you it's making a difference. India and Nepal and other places. We were in Kathmandu, which is the capital city of Nepal. And it's right in the middle of the Himalayan mountains. Now we have our time zones here. In India, there are 30-minute time zones. You go to Nepal, there are 15-minute time zones. The reason for that is, is because there are so many mountains, the light is only there for a short period of time. And it was right at the base of the Himalayas. I've been there on a number of occasions. The highest mountains in the world are the Himalayas, and they are considered to be sacred by the Hindus and literally are believed to be the home of the gods, Shiva, Krishna, all of these gods they believed live and reside in the Himalayan mountains. You might not know this, but the word Himalaya, for example, literally is a word that means dwelling. Not dwelling for men, dwelling for spirits, deities. At 29,029 feet, Mount Everest is the highest of these mountains and the highest in the world. The Nepalese consider it to be holy. So it is not only holy to Hindus, but it is also revered by Buddhists as well and thought to be a holy mountain to them also. Now, I'm not going to mislead you. I didn't climb Mount Everest. I'm not going to climb Mount Everest. I have no desire to climb Mount Everest. I got in a little airplane called Buddha Airlines. Seriously, that was the name of the airliner, Buddha Airlines. And they drove us up around the mountain, and we just toured and circled around. And, and the captain let us get up and walk up to the cockpit and take pictures of the mountain out of the window of the airplane. That's as close to Mount Everest as I, I got and as close as I'm ever going to cl come to climbing it. Unless they develop a jet pack that you can put on your back and just kind of go right up. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to mislead you, but I, that's considered to be a sacred mountain. Many people enjoy climbing mountains. They're challenging. They're not just important in history. They're places where many of the significant events of the Bible occurred. God meets and speaks with people on mountains. Look at Mount Ararat where the ark came to rest after the flood. There was Mount Moriah where Abraham offered his greatest sacrifice. It's also where we learn that Jehovah Jireh is a covenant name for the God we serve and that means the Lord who will provide. It was on the backside of the desert that God spoke to Moses from a burning bush at Mount Sinai. Many people don't realize it was actually Mount Sinai where the burning bush was at where Moses would later circle back around after the children of Israel had left Egypt and bring them back that way once again. It was also on Mount Sinai after Israel's deliverance that Moses climbed to the top of the mountain to be alone with God 40 days and 40 nights and was given the sacred and divine law written with the very fingertip of God. Saul died on Mount Geboa after disobeying God. It was a mountain covered with angels and chariots of fire that the servant of Elijah was allowed to see when the prophet prayed, God opened his eyes because the young man was terrified because an army had come against them. And when he had his eyes opened, he said, they're more with us than they are against for them and that are against us. And then there was the Mount of Transfiguration where the inner radiance, you have to know who God was in flesh. You have to know who Jesus was. 
He was Christ, the Son of God, but all in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when he was on the side of that mountain, suddenly his flesh burst and the light of who he was shined through and they could see the inner radiance of who he actually was through the veil of his flesh. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Give him praise, somebody, because of who he is. It was on Mount Moriah that our Lord was crucified. It was on the Mount of Olives that Christ ascended back up into heaven. It was on the Mount of Olives that he will return with someday to stand as the victorious king again at the end of the age. And with this in mind, Caleb said, give me the mountain. I don't even think he understood what he was tapping into. He was expressing a desire to not find the easy way out. I want the mountain. He didn't know about God meeting with all these people on the mountain. Some of it happened after he was dead and gone. But mountains are where you have encounters with God. There are several important lessons from this story that will help you not only have a more successful life, they will help you achieve the purposes that were in the heart of God when he created you. And I want us to look at some of them in the few minutes we have remaining. Number one, God wants to change the way you look at mountains. Say that, God wants to change the way you look at mountains. Mountains are obstacles, they're challenges, they're difficult. It's not easy to climb a mountain, it's hard work. When I was a kid, after being raised, still living in the flatlands of Louisiana, the marshes, the bayou country, I grew up with swamp mud between my toes, seriously speaking. And you get to, you go on a vacation and you get to Colorado, you go to Arizona, New Mexico, which we did. We decided we wanted to climb a mountain as a little kid. I, I, I spent two or three hours trying to climb that mountain, and it looked like the top was getting further away rather than closer. And I said, I'm calling this a day. Amen. That's not my calling to be a, a mountain climber in the natural. But I love mountains in the spiritual. Mountains represent challenges. They are not easy. Am I talking to anybody that's facing a challenge right now? A mountain can be a generational curse, family patterns of behavior that are self-destructive, that stand between you and the destiny of your family. Mountains also are symbolic of lifelong dreams. They represent your destiny, your, your victory. And when you conquer a mountain, it is a cause for celebration. And rather, a mountain is considered or looked at by you to be a challenge or an opportunity for achievement actually depends upon how you choose to see it. I need to emphasize that. It's all in how you see it. You can either look at your mountain as an opportunity or you can look at it as a problem. So many of us have trained ourselves to look at opportunities as problems. It is estimated that less than 2% of the population of our world has trained themselves to look for the opportunity in a problem. Before Thomas Edison, people thought of darkness as an insurmountable challenge and then he saw it as an opportunity and invented the light bulb. 
Most people thought going to the moon was a challenge that men would never be able to overcome. Then came President John F. Kennedy, and he saw it as an opportunity. I am friends with an older gentleman who was one of the engineers who helped develop our space program here in NASA. He and I fly together quite often. You might not know it, but at one time, the guy that designed mission control in NASA was a member of this church. He retired and has moved out into the country. But this gentleman that I fly with, who was one of the original engineers, we've talked for hours about the inventions their teams helped create while at NASA. The number of things that we as a society can't hardly function without today that came out of NASA is astonishing. Did you know that the heart pump that made possible open heart surgery came from NASA as did LASIK technology that enables you to get rid of your glasses and from artificial limbs to invisible braces to anti-de-icing equipment for airplanes to better automobile tires they were all developed with technology that came out of what somebody said is a problem not only that but thousands of other useful inventions that we take for granted and use every day so the question is this should you look at your mountain as a problem or as an opportunity on the other hand once you've climbed a mountain it means that you have overcome what other people thought you could not conquer is there anybody in the building that's ever climbed a mountain and got on top and said i did it by the grace of god i made it i'm here nobody thought i could but i did i got my degree I made 52 years of marriage with one person. Yes, and she did the same with me, amen. The people who learn to see mountains as opportunities are the ones who end up building great businesses or ministries. They create and invent things that others thought was impossible. They're also the ones who end up experiencing, are you getting this, real success or making real money I'm not talking about money I'm talking about money dinero the long green the Benjamins shekels coin dinero you know pesos I'm talking about lira euros they're the ones that end up making that the rest of us end up working for them because we saw it as a problem they saw it as an opportunity there's got to be a mental adjustment. That's why Paul said we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Amen. Number two, mountains are where the giants live. <laughs> Talking about things you need to know about mountains. God's going to give you one. Mountains are where giants live. Did you hear that? They don't just come visit once in a while. That's their home address. That's where the Anakims stay. Amen. In other words, you can expect to face giants once you set out to conquer your mountain. When you are pursuing kingdom's objectives for God, for your life, you can expect the enemy to show up and try to stop you. But I've got a word for you. He's already defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Somebody ought to take a praise break right now and say I can do all things through him amen 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 nothing will keep you on your knees like a good giant showing up once in a while 
It'll make you pray when you done forgot how to pray. It'll make you get the Bible out and blow the dust off the cover. You face a giant or two, it'll put you on your knees, amen. It'll make you seek after God. Here's what you need to understand. In life, you are rewarded according to the level of difficulty you can solve. People don't get promoted just because they show up to a job. They get promoted because they can fix things that other people can't fix. If you can conquer that giant, you're getting ready to get a promotion. Somebody in this house, that's a word for you right now. Don't you give up and throw in the towel. You never would have heard of David had it not been for Goliath. Giants cause your promotion. Number three, the opposition you face will be as big as your objectives. Oh, yeah. Big objectives. <laughs> big opposition. Little goals. Little opposition. Little prayers. Little resistance. Big prayers. Big resistance. In other words, if you dream a big dream, expect a big giant to show up. If you're dreaming just a little dream, uh, there's going to be some little stunted, runny, height-challenged giant going to show up and say, Ooh. And you're going to say, who are you? I'm a giant. Not much of one. But pray a big prayer, and there's going to come a giant standing in the middle of your path, and he's going to say, who are you? He'll come to defy you. Listen to what the scripture said, 1 Corinthians 16 and 9. For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are, say it with me, many. Oh, come on, I need your help, many. Come on, I need your help. Say it again. How many adversaries? Many. Okay, pastor, I was doing real well till you put that scripture up on the screen. There's a principle in that. Big doors, big opposition. Amen. Little doors, little problems. Big doors, big problems. No doors, no problems. Let's look at another truth we glean from this story. Your age doesn't matter. He was 85 years old and he said, I'll take the mountain. I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Society may count you out, but there's not a person in this building that is beyond the place where you can achieve your dreams. Not a one of you. It's not too late for you to do something for God. It isn't too late for you to be something great in the kingdom. It isn't too late for you to do something for your family, to start that business or fulfill your dream. I know what you're thinking. I know, I know. You don't know how I screwed up, Pastor. I want to say it again. It's not too late. I said it's not too late. Yeah, but I made some bad choices. Who hasn't? I messed up. Who didn't? But you don't know how bad I messed up. You don't know how good and how great the grace of God is. If you'll turn your face toward God and say, I still want the mountain that has my name on it. Age does not matter. It's only a number. Give God some praise one more time. I'm talking to somebody in this house that needs to hear the word of God this morning. Harlan Sanders took his first social security check when he turned 65 and began the Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise that today is the second largest restaurant chain in the world. 
with over 23,000 KFCs in 136 countries. 65, turn you out to pasture? Not hardly. I need somebody to high five somebody and say, I'm just getting started. Would you do that right now? Say it and mean it. I'm just getting started. If you retired, it's an opportunity to refire. God gave you a chance to fund the next half of your life and help develop and pay for your ministry. Hello, somebody. You can make a difference with your life. Woo! But not only are you not too old, you aren't too young to be used by God either. Most scholars believe that the 12 disciples were in their early 20s when Jesus called them. Without exception, no one questions that they were from 18 to 30. Nobody believes there was a disciple that Jesus called that was over 30. Think about it. We don't even think they're wet behind the, dry behind the ears yet. You know what I mean? We think they're still too young to be used. No, you're not too young to be used by God. I want you to hear that. You're not too young to make a difference. It's the Mark Zuckerbergs who in their, their 20s are changing the world we live in right now. You can be a Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg for God. Do you hear what I'm talking about? You can make a difference. Every church needs to include its young people and children in its vision. Every church. Now, if I have some parents that know what they ought to do, they'll clap right there. Because you don't want to leave your kids behind and be disenfranchised from the vision of the house they're a part of. Young people were the foundation of Jesus' ministry. And often in ministry, churches, we hear this, oh, but this is for this age, and this is for that age, and, and there's this big division. There, there's no division in the kingdom of God. A wise church is one that builds for every generation. That's one reason we spent the money on the lights, the sound, the modern technology that's in this building. Our kids grow up with technology. Have you thought about that? Amen. They grow up with technology. I mean, the iPhone, my iPhone. Anybody remember back to the days of the first mobile phones? You carried a suitcase around with a cord connected to a phone. One arm grew longer than the other. You know what I mean? Remember that? And then came the brick. That's what we affectionately called it. That was this big thing like this with a big stubby antenna out the top. You held it wrong, it looked like a gun just pointing at somebody, a rifle. And then came, oh my, when they invented the Motorola StarTac. Anybody remember the, the flip-top StarTac motor? Oh, that was so cool, I couldn't wait to flip mine open and show people. Now, I've got an iPhone, and I read the other day that it has more computing ability than all of the computers in NASA that were used to launch all 20, I think it's 28 Apollo space programs. All 28 of them. My phone has more computing technology. My phone. Doesn't mean I understand it. Hey, Andrew, come show me how to work this over here. Call my grandson. If you can't understand your phone, get your seven-year-old child or grandson to show you. They will teach you all about your phone. They'll teach you how to work your iPad, your computer. Yes, they will. Our kids grow up with technology. 
But we come to church, and did you know the average church in America is 50 years behind the rest of the world in terms of technology? So what does that mean? It means that we have to deliberately make a place to include both young and old because both of them are Caleb's. I'm talking to young Caleb's. I'm talking to elderly Caleb's. I'm talking to middle-aged Caleb's. I'm talking to people that have a mountain in front of them. And God's going to use you to make a difference with your life. Somebody give God some praise. People say, I'm not sure that I like all the new technology. Get used to it. It's here to stay. I'm serious. It's here to stay. It's going to change. And it's changing so fast right now. I was on a bullet train and going from Norway to Sweden. And you look out the window and those, those telephone poles go just a blur. That's how life is for me right now with technology. Can't even get used to one thing until they come out with a, I don't even want to update my iPhone anymore. But if you don't, it stops working after a while. Look at the ancient tabernacle. The pomp and the ceremony was dazzling. To people who had been raised as slaves, it must have been an astonishing sight with all the silver and the gold and the cherubs and the palms and the priests dressed in bright and colorful robes. If I showed up, <laughs> if I showed up dressed like one of those fellas on a Sunday morning, you would think I had a nervous breakdown. It was dazzling. But at the same time, I don't ever want to let go of the things that brought us to where we are right now. Can I hear somebody shout hallelujah? Every once in a while, I want somebody to sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I want somebody to get up and begin to sing great is thy faithfulness. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Do you hear what I'm talking about? Number five, and I'm just about done. God wants your mountain to teach you something. Even if your whole life has been a struggle, you should not give up. Do you know what the root word for the name Caleb means? Anybody. Anybody in the building. Root word for the name Caleb. One person. The Hebrew word. For, oh, you were first service. That's why. That's cheating. That's not fair. <laughs> you look in your Strong's Concordance. The root word for Caleb is dog. You didn't know that, did you? It's what it meant, dog. I don't know how he ended up with a name like that, but can you imagine the inferiority complex he grew up with? Hey, hey dog. And I'm not talking about, hey, I'm a dog. Y'all come howl with me now. Like that. I'm not talking about that kind of dog, you know? Where my dog's at? That's not what I'm talking about. Woo, woo, who let the dogs out? Roof, 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 roof. <laughs> That's not the kind of dogs I'm talking about. I mean, like, hey, dog, you a dog. Amen. Called that for 40 years, and Moses sends him to spy out the land, and he brought back a good report. 
And for the next 40 years, he has to wander in the wilderness. In the next five years, he's going to fight. And now, 85 years old, his whole life has been a struggle. Am I talking to anybody here who it seems like every day of your life has been uphill? I want you to know something. It doesn't matter. Don't give up. You're about to have a breakthrough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You wake up in the morning and ah, another day, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then the devil shows up and say, okay, time for round 567. You keep pressing on. And like Caleb, you don't give up. Even if the last 85 years of your life have been a struggle, you're getting ready to break through into what you've always dreamed of. Hallelujah. And to somebody else, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to take 85 years. It doesn't take that long. But I just want you to know, in case you've waited, it's coming. Don't believe that God gave up on your dream. God said, give that man the mountain. You keep pressing on, you're going to get there. Amen. You haven't had your breakthrough yet, you keep pressing on. You haven't had your breakthrough in your your uh, family yet, keep pressing on. And your finances yet keep breaking, pressing on. Caleb also teaches us to make sure that we don't set our goals too low. Tell somebody, don't set your goals too low. Oh my God, my time is gone. I've just looked at it. God is into God-sized dreams. The the worship went a little bit over. You going to give me just a a couple of minutes here? Amen. God is into God-sized dreams. You need... You need to know this about God. If God ever speaks to you and tells you to do something you can already do, beware. That probably wasn't God. But if he asks you to do something, there's no way that you can do it unless he shows up. You better be listening. That is probably the voice of the almighty God that is speaking to you because God is into God-sized projects. God is into God-sized dreams. There's no way we could have built this church, but by the grace of Almighty God, God showed up, helped us, hallelujah, to the Lamb of God. He will help you. And in conclusion, we should practice the secret of Caleb's strength and youthfulness. Moses had promised him the mountain for a reason. Joshua 14, 8 through 9, nevertheless, my brethren, Caleb is speaking, who went up with me made the heart of the people Melt. Say it with me. But I have wholly followed the Lord my God. The secret of his strength at the age of 85 was he wholly followed God. Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Turn to somebody and say, I'm making decisions that are going to help my family generations from now. That's right. That's right. Amen. And this is what he said, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. It is because he wholly followed God that he found incredible favor and the strength at 85 to do what only a young man should have been able to do. As I conclude today, I want to tell you that the number one thing that holds most people back from climbing mountains is today's caricature of a Christian is one who keeps 90% of themselves 
for themselves and only gives God the rest. There is remarkable breakthrough when you surrender the last little bit to God. And God's calling on somebody to do that this morning. I felt that God was going to be speaking to someone specifically this morning. And I've had these, my notes ready literally for weeks and weeks. I knew what I'd be preaching. And I'm, I might be preaching to somebody that's in a valley right now. You're even wondering if you still feel like climbing a mountain. It still has your name on it. But I want you to know the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, without metanoia. He doesn't take the dream away. You say, but pastor, you don't know how I've screwed up since then. Doesn't matter. He doesn't take the dream away. He still stands there holding the future in front of you and saying, my grace can still help you become everything that you need to become. Your destiny is still secured. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Say yes to God and make the devil a liar. Really is his plans that you have in your heart. He really is the one who put that passion there. You might be fighting your way uphill and it isn't getting any easier, but I just simply close by saying, don't give up. Don't give up. I've been looking at Daniel recently in the scripture. He fasted for 21 days. You remember that? Nowhere in that story did God tell Daniel fast for 21 days. Nowhere. Suppose he had decided to only fast 20. The angel didn't show up with his breakthrough until the 21st day. And this is what the angel said. Gabriel showed up and said, we heard you the first day. And I was dispatched. But the angel, or rather the prince of Persia, the, the ruling principality of the area, stood and withstood me. And I had to call Michael, the archangel. And we warred the last 20 days. And we broke through. And here I am. I wonder what would have happened if Daniel had only prayed 20 days and stopped one day short of a breakthrough. I'm talking to somebody. Don't you quit right now. You're too close. You're too close. Would you stand with me across the building? So I close with just these words. Keep climbing. Our culture here, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you came. And our culture here is that we have everybody come forward in the service at the altar together. And I pray a fatherly blessing over you the lives of the people who are here. I'd like for our prayer counselors to come first and then right behind them, would you please come and join us, everybody. We'd love for our guests to come. I'd like to pray over you. And as you're coming, I just want to mention this as well. At the end of this service, if you will go right out the doors and to the left, down the hall, down the hall to the left, there's a conference room right over in the direction where my, I'm pointing right now. And if you're visiting with us and you're a first-time guest or I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, you've been coming here for a little while but just haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love for you to, to come and join us in the conference room right at the end of the service. Everybody come. Draw in close. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Amen. You don't know what miracles God might do in people's lives. Prayer changes things.
Yes, it does. Changes things. So at the end of the service, when we finish praying, we'll move right through those doors and just take a hard left and go straight down the hall, past the chapel, and ask anybody down that way. They'll show you where to go. I won't keep you but just a very few minutes. Just very, very few. Just long enough to say hi and get to know you and speak a word to you personally. Don't want you to feel like you're lost in a crowd and don't matter to somebody. But while every head is bowed right now, I know God because I've been serving Him long enough and been in ministry long enough to know that I don't preach what I just preached today unless there's a reason. And while every head is bowed, I want to see the hands of those that are going through valleys right now or you're facing mountains that are challenging. Look at all of the hands, God. Help us. Amen. Help is on the way, beloved. Help is on the way. We're going to pray and breakthroughs are going to happen here this morning. Just before we go, I also want to pray for those who have never given their heart and lives to God or maybe who need to be renewed in their commitment to the Lord. Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor, because I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to reconnect. God bless you. 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 God bless you, young man. God bless you, dear lady. God bless you. In the back, I see the hands. God bless you. Father, I pray right now that you'll come into the heart of every one of these precious men and women that, that want to surrender their life to you. Save them, Lord. Write their name in the book of life. If they've already known you and drifted away, Lord, renew that covenant with them. As they recommit their lives to you, Lord, let the fire of God burn in their heart again. The passion to know you, to serve you, to walk with you, to be there again. Cover these precious people who have never known you with the blood of Jesus. And those who have and who have walked with you and let the fire grow dim, Lord. Lord, let the blood be fresh and alive in our lives today. The mistakes we've made, the blunders, the errors. Help us to understand that we're still your children. That you still love us more than you could ever, ever possibly communicate to us in a way that we could understand. You love us so much. And Lord, now all of these who are here today that need a breakthrough. I want to ask you, how many need a breakthrough in your finances? Would you raise your hand? Let's just get real right now. Look at the hands. Need a breakthrough in your finances. I'm going to talk to you about strategies for possessing your mountain. The Sunday after Sam is with us. That's going to be one of them. How many need a breakthrough in a family situation? Just don't be afraid. Raise God. Help us. Look at the hands. Satan, you're a liar. You can't steal our kids. You can't steal our children. You can't. We're not going to let you have them. You're not going to take our, our grandkids. We cover them with the blood of Jesus. We're not going to let you steal our marriages, Lord. We're not going to let you steal our future. There may be somebody in this room that's already been through a breakup in their home that's been devastating. Devastating and cruel and left you heartbroken and wondering if you even have value in your own life. I just... I feel a special word for somebody right now. While their heads are bowed, do you mind just for a moment opening your heart with me? Could I, could, I, could I see a hand? Somebody in this building that you've been through a breakup of some kind of a relationship or an experience that's robbed you of your value. 
and your self-esteem. Don't be afraid to hold that hand up high. God sees those hands. God sees those hands. And I want to tell you with authority, you still matter to God. You still matter to God. You still matter to God. You have value in the eyes of the one who really counts. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have value in the eyes of the one who matters most. And if you matter to him, if others don't see your value, that's their problem. Right here in our city, I know I'm taking just a moment longer, but I just feel to say it. Right here in our city, there's a flea market. And some years ago, there was a a man selling rocks in the flea market. And he sold one for $5. The guy who bought it from him saw what it was. The guy who had it for sale didn't know what it was. It was one of the largest star sapphires in the world. Worth $10 million. It was sold in a flea market in Houston for $5. If somebody doesn't see your value, that's their problem, honey. That's their problem. That's their problem. I said that's their problem. God knows who you are. He knows who he created you to be in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's lift our hands, Father. I pray for breakthroughs to happen all over this building today. Let lives be transformed. Let people be changed. Let chains break right now. In the name of Jesus, they're falling to the ground. There's a young lady in this room right now. You think you're bound and unable to get free? God is causing chains to break right now in the name of Jesus. Give God some praise, intercessors. Give God some praise and let's seal a breakthrough in somebody's life. There's a gentleman in this room that's messed up so many times he don't know if he can get his act together. You're going to find you strength. Yes, you are. You say, how do you know that? I just know it because I feel God in this house right now. God's going to give you the ability to make happen in your life what you could not make happen up until this day. Breakthrough is coming. Give God some praise.